we're talking about wisdom here. Tell us some wisdom on how to grow a better beard. Just don't listen to your wife. Don't listen to your wife. Keep growing it, guys. You can do it. Ozzy, you have a great beard. Let's be honest. Thank you. Give some tips of wisdom to people, all those guys that are trying to grow a great beard. Uh, you just got to wake up every morning and push really hard. <laughs> I don't know how that would work for me, but I've been trying. Do you know what wisdom is? It's like something that is like a spirit for God. Which... Okay, a spirit for God. Okay. What's, what's something wise that your dad's ever told you? Like, hey, you need to do this. I'm reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. He's like, G girls, good answer. It's just like we practice. You look wise. Why do you look so wise? I think it has to do with the early onset graying of my beard. Okay. Are you dying it yourself? No, I'm just dying naturally. <laughs> my name is Elijah, what's your name? Rocky Gray. Rocky Gray, what a name, that is the name. What's the wisest thing anyone's ever told you? Uh, just be humble about things. Live your life like you're supposed to, trust in God. Rocky knows. All right, this is a serious one. All right, you look wise. How did you look? How do you get to looking so wise? It's everything that I am is because of the Lord. Oh my goodness, man! Rocky's hitting me hard still. I don't know. What a guy. Well, good morning. I think it's still morning, isn't it, everyone? Hello. How are you? My name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Fellowship. Uh, so thank you. One person here at Frisco East said good morning back to me. That was very kind of you. Uh, those of you in Prosper, Frisco West, McKinney, watching online, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so we're in the middle of a series about wisdom, right? And so it's kind of obvious maybe why they picked me to be a part of this series, don't you think? The gray beard and the glasses, that's why I think I got asked to speak in this thing. And so... But I do want to establish, as we're talking about wisdom, I do want to establish that I, I have a little wisdom gift. Is that all right if I try to establish that with you guys here this morning? And so one of the gifts that I feel like I have in terms of wisdom is I have the ability, the uncanny ability to read people's minds to know what they're thinking. So um, as I'm looking out at you, I'm kind of getting certain vibes. Is it okay if I try my gift out with you? Would that be all right to get started here this morning? Okay, the response, if you're watching online, the response here is underwhelming. Okay. <laughs> And so here is the first, uh, I kind of I get these mental vibes because I can, I can read people really well. The first vibe I'm getting is, yeah, some of you are thinking, you know, I haven't been to church since before COVID, and the first Sunday I, come to, I choose to come back, this guy is speaking, John McKenzie isn't here. I wonder if I had a coughing fit, if people would understand if I could just walk out the back. So that's, that's one school of thought. Um, the second one I'm getting is, is really the predominant, I feel like the majority of you are probably thinking this. Uh, you're probably thinking, how could God create such a beautiful creature as this man? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm picking up. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just the messenger. Um, the third group is kind of the, the, the teenagers in the group that are here and watching online. You're thinking, oh God, I hope I don't go bald. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the third Group And then the last group is uh, kind of thinking, um, if I laugh at this guy, are people going to think ill of me if I laugh? And so I don't know what to do. Because people come up to me all the time and say, oh, I love it when you speak. I'm always laughing inside. I'm like, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> how, how, how does that help me at all if you're laughing inside? So let the laughter out. That would be great. So um, my four schools of thought on my wisdom, did I get close? Did I get close to what you were thinking? Was that fairly decent? Okay, all right. Especially, especially the second one, was that kind of on? No one, okay, all right. 
So we are talking about wisdom, and I thought it'd be cool if we kind of started off on the same page understanding what we're talking about when it comes to wisdom. And so the first question is, obviously, what is wisdom? And so let's look at it kind of from a dictionary view and from a biblical view, and so hopefully we can establish kind of where we're going when we have the idea of wisdom. And so if you look up the idea of wisdom, it's not just knowledge, like head knowledge, but it's knowledge that leads to action. So it's not just knowing something, it's actually doing something with that information, that is called wisdom. And so in the Bible, what happens is when people write and they talk about writing wisdom literature, which is kind of like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and things like that, they're writing literature where they're taking wisdom, skills that they've figured out in this life and how to practically honor God in everyday living and they're writing that to us. And so wisdom is gained through experience, And if it's done really well, wisdom, especially in the context of the family of God, is passed on from one generation uh, to the next. And Proverbs actually tells us that wisdom is one of the best things we can do and we can pursue with our lives is pursuing wisdom, one of the best things we can do. And so in Proverbs, I'll paraphrase for you real quick. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13, 13 through 18, it says this. It says, if you find wisdom, you find joy. It's more profitable than silver Its wages are better than gold. Um, Oftentimes, in the beginning of Proverbs, it personifies wisdom as as females, and it says, she offers you long life in her right hand. And so, isn't that weird that wisdom is kind of personified as as female? So I wonder if that's telling us that women maybe are more intelligent, have better wisdom than men. Is that kind of what you think it's telling us? And so, guys right there, by saying women are smarter than me, that was wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and happy are those who find her and hold her tightly who find wisdom. And the wisdom literature goes on to give us a few warnings that's saying, hey, it's better than pursuing gold, it's better pursuing wealth, pursuing wisdom is the greatest thing you can pursue, but if you choose not to pursue wisdom, that's okay, but here are some consequences that are listed in the wisdom literature if you choose not to pursue wisdom. Uh, Famine, poverty, mocking, destruction. So just a few minor things if you choose not to pursue wisdom. And so the next question then is if we understand wisdom, it's applied knowledge. It's actually living out practical things in order to honor God. Why is wisdom so important? One of the things I really love when you study the Bible is if there's a theme or a thread that runs from the beginning to the end. I like paying attention to those threads and think maybe that's God speaking to us in some way. And so there's a thread that I love about wisdom running through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God is establishing a covenant with Abram. And in that, he says, as we establish this covenant together between you and I, between humanity and God, here's how I want it to work. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. So God is telling Abram, I'm not just going to bless you for the sake of you being, uh, having all these wonderful things, but I want you to take that and I want it to flow through you for the advancement and the help of those around you and making the world uh, a much better place full of my light and my love. We fast forward to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. He's confronted by the teachers of the law and they kind of say, hey Jesus, they're trying to trap him a little bit and say, Jesus, tell us what is the best, the greatest commandment. And Jesus famously answers, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and, just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, Jesus is saying that we're going to experience God's love, but if it just stops there, we've misunderstood this thread that runs throughout the scripture, 
that love has to flow through to those that are around us that they feel God's love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, it says it this way. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you've received it, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so Jesus is saying here that not only is it important for those around us, but it's a sign to the world that we've figured this thing out, that we have wisdom, that we're applying this knowledge when we can actually love people around us, even those that are difficult to love around us. So again, wisdom equals applied knowledge. And in this case, what Jesus is telling us, that applied knowledge is looking at those around you and are you loving them really well? And if you are, then Jesus has said you're showing wisdom. We say it here at this church like this, the goal of our church is to help people move to the center of God's purpose for their lives. I believe we discovered the purpose here as we've read this thread throughout scripture. The purpose for our lives is to love the world around us, those that are close to us, to love them very, very well. We love God, we're blessed, we sense his love, and we're a blessing to others by loving them well. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at Proverbs for just a moment and see what Proverbs might tell us how to do that a little bit better, how to practically love those around us a little bit better than we do now. Proverbs is a super interesting book and I encourage you to spend a little time reading it. At the beginning, um, it kind of personifies wisdom as a female. It says, pursue wisdom above all things. So that's a good thing to do. And the middle of the book really kind of is these little short statements that kind of say, here if you follow these things, then good things are gonna come your direction. And so this is called wisdom literature. And so wisdom literature in the Bible is really interesting. It's not like someone just received this message from God and they wrote it down on a, on a piece of paper or a piece of parchment, I guess. Uh, but it's like someone uh, received these ideas from God and they started living out life and they found out these practical things. They kind of went here and it didn't work. They tried this and it did work. And wisdom literature is kind of them saying, here's the things that I've discovered as a man or a person of God, and I'm gonna pass them on to you that these are practical things that you can do to honor God with your life. So Solomon, who uh, was approached and said by God and said, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom above all things, is one of the main writers of Proverbs. And it tells us that these things that Solomon is giving us, they're not necessarily guarantees. Oftentimes, I think we can read the Bible and say, if we do that, then that's promised. So it's not a formula, but Solomon and the writers of Proverbs are telling us, if you do these things, then generally your life is gonna turn out much better than what it would if you don't pursue these things. So they're not guarantees, but they're more like, like outcomes. So it's kind of like saying, if you do these things, the odds are more in your favor that they're going to work out. For those of you that like nostalgic movies, it's weird that I'm saying this is a nostalgic movie, but if you do these things, the odds are ever in your favor. <laughs> Hunger Games, kind of, that went over really well, all right. <laughs> Dang it. All right, so what I'd like to do today is to, as a person with a gray beard uh, that's lived a little bit of life, as a person that's read Proverbs, I'd like to pass on some hopefully godly wisdom for you, and we'll let Proverbs kind of start that test for us. But before we do that, um, I wanna ask myself and I wanna ask all of us this question. How are you doing when it comes to living out wisdom in terms of loving those around you well? 
If you need a little help, then please listen to what wisdom is calling out to you. How are you doing if you're married in terms of loving your spouse well? Do you love them really well? As a parent, how are you doing in terms of loving your kids well? As an employee, how are you doing about loving your coworkers well, even the ones that are difficult to take at all? How are you doing as an employee, how are you doing at loving your boss well, even if your boss is difficult? I'm an employee at Hope Fellowship. My boss is John McKenzie, the lead pastor. I need help in this area more than any one of you in this audience. (laughs) He's not here today, so I can say whatever I want. All right. How are you doing at loving people that cut you off on the highway well? How are you doing at loving people, anyone, on Highway 380? That's a big question. How are you at loving your enemies well? The Bible says that we need to love our enemies. How are we doing at loving those that bother us well? How are we doing at loving those who have different views on how the world should be run? How are we doing at loving them? If the answer is we need some help in those areas, wisdom is calling out to us and saying, please listen to me, because you can be my message, my messenger to this world of how great I am. All right, so let's see if we can gain a little wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three, verses eight through, or Proverbs chapter nine, verses eight through nine says this. So it says, don't bother correcting mockers, they will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Wise people seek out instruction and guidance. So Proverbs is this collection of sayings and saying, hey, these are all smart things to do. And one of the main themes in Proverbs is this, that wise people seek out instruction and they seek out guidance. They're not doing this thing alone. Let's move on. Proverbs chapter 10, 17, keep with this thread. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life but those who ignore correction will go astray. Proverbs 12.1 says, to learn, you must love discipline. Gets a little harsh here. It is stupid to hate correction. So Proverbs is beginning this case for us. These wise people are teaching us that wise people accept correction. They accept guidance. They are growing in this life by the input, by the feedback of other human beings. It continues on. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Proverbs 27, nine says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and as incense. Again, Proverbs is saying, in order to pursue wisdom, in order to do this right, we massively need the input of other human beings in order to ever get where we wanna go. Alone, stupid. Together, wise. Proverbs 27, 17, a very famous passage says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs is teaching us again that we cannot be better, we cannot achieve our goals, we cannot where we wanna go without the help of other human beings. And finally, Proverbs chapter 29, verse one says, whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism, feedback, will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. A little bit of a harsh one there at the end. So according to Proverbs, according to what these wise people are passing on to us, the input from others is the path to success of loving other people well, fulfilling this biblical theme of what Jesus has called us to do. We need other people to do that. Now, if you're like me, feedback is not something, boy, I can't wait to get some of that. (laughs) I can't wait for someone to tell me what I'm doing wrong. 
Um, so Wisdom and I have not always been friends. Um, I was a youth minister for a long time, believe it or not. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but youth ministers kind of do some dumb things every once in a while. Uh, I remember one time uh, there was a whole bunch, our, our youth group was seventh grade through 12th grade. And there was a whole bunch of new seventh graders coming in uh, to our youth group. And somehow the seniors convinced me it'd be cool to do an initiation for the seventh graders and to scare them because that's going to make them feel loved and welcome, right? So we were going along, they had all these things, they had to uncover this box and identify what it was, like an orange, an apple, and under, under one of them was this big scary senior guy with beards, with a beard, and he would yell at the kids. We thought that was a really good idea for some reason, that's not wisdom. And so, therefore, a lot of parents, for some reason, <laughs> had complaints afterwards. Their kids didn't want to come back to our youth group, they were scared of church now, I don't understand why. And so, the pastor, the senior pastor of the church at the time comes to me and he starts kind of saying, hey, this might not have been a good idea. There might be some better ways to do things. And there were other incidents, you know, in retrospect, thinking about all these times the parents complained, they were wrong. I was right, just looking back on it. Um, but the pastor is talking to me and he's saying, it's probably not a good idea. And I start to defend myself. I start to rebut everything he's having to say. And it was at that moment that I realized that wisdom in this regard was not a friend of mine. He looked at me, he said, you know, whenever something goes wrong and I try to talk to you or give you guidance about that, you always battle me every time. You're never wrong. You're always right. I'm always dumb, you're always smart. He said, you're not good at receiving feedback. And of course I said, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And so I realized at that point in time that I despised feedback. And I think one of the reasons, and maybe you're in this boat where I was, the reason why I despise feedback so much is because of my own insecurities, because I felt like I was this human being that if I didn't have all the right answers, then there was something defective about me. So when people gave me feedback, it wasn't saying, hey, here's something you can do to get a little bit better. It was saying, you stink. You're not good. There's something broken about you beyond repair. So feedback was not something that I wanted to hear. Yet, as I read the Bible, as I read the scriptures, as I read Proverbs, it says that wisdom seems to be the path to really loving other people well, to doing life well. As I kind of look at other people around me that seem to be navigating life in a a certain fashion that I kind of like, boy, that would be nice to live life that way. They seem to be people that like input and correction and guidance and coaching from other people. So the wisdom passed down to us that I was not willing to listen to was saying that if other people aren't speaking into our lives, then we're forsaking a very large part of wisdom and then probably what we're doing then is hurting others. Feedback, correction, input, guidance, where they are lacking, wisdom is lacking, and when they are, when, where they are lacking, probably love of others is lacking as well. So years ago, I interviewed at a church in Richardson, Texas. And uh, there was an interview board and we got done and I got the job somehow in spite of my history of scaring seventh graders beyond ever wanting to come back to church. And I got hired and there was a guy that was on that interview board, his name was Randy. He came up to me and said, hey, my name's Randy. I'm an executive coach. I work with large corporations and help their leaders be better leaders. He said, I would like to meet with you once a month for coffee. 
He said, the reason for that is I'm not going to charge you for that, but the reason for that is I recently just had a bout with cancer, and I felt the Lord spoke to me during that time that I need to find some ministers and coach them and help them be better at what they do. So as a person that hated feedback, I thought, oh, no, (laughs) this is going to be horrible. i got to gear all the things I do bad as a minister. This is going to be so great. And I felt like, well, maybe they just hired me with the the stipulation that this guy would work with me because I was so bad. So all those thoughts start going through my brain. So I met with Randy at Starbucks, and it was really uh, pretty amazing. He has this uncanny, uncanny ability to say, here's the things that I really appreciate about you. With a little coaching, with a little help, we can tweak those things, and you can do even better. And so all of a sudden, you're like, boy, I want more feedback. This is great. Thanks, Randy. And so it was interesting that that coffee happened uh, 13 years ago, and on Wednesday, I just met with Randy Again, 13 years later, we've been meeting every month. So Randy's really been an instrumental part of my life, and so part of my plea for all of us is like, this has made such a difference for me, having input, having guidance, that I don't know where I'd be without this guy, I don't know where I'd be without those things, and so I'm, I guess, as, as wisdom kind of saying, hey, let's listen to this a little bit. But Randy has this really neat analogy that he talks about that, um, that oftentimes in life there are pits or traps in front of us. And... What happens is that all of us kind of, if we're not listening to other people, we kind of get blinders on because we think my perspective, the way I know things, it means everything, right? I I know everything. I don't need anybody to give me input. But if you were to think about it this way, if we were to do like a pie graph and to say how much of that, if that pie graph is wisdom, how much of that do you know about all the wisdom in the world? What would you give yourself? Maybe a sliver, a quarter? So we don't know everything. And so what happens oftentimes in corporations with leaders, if they start to ignore the feedback of others and they kind of get power and they start to say, hey, I don't need the input of others, they can just be walking along and they can't see all the other things because there's a narrow perspective we all have. And they're just falling into pit. Employees can't say anything. They're just going to fall into the pit, get up, blame everybody else, keep walking, fall into another pit. And so what happens then when it, in terms of like loving others, what we're doing then is maybe we're, we're leaving a trail of bodies behind us of people that we've hurt, people that we've wounded, things that we haven't done well, business things that we've messed up on, all this kind of stuff. There's pit after pit after pit. And so Randy said that unless you listen to these people around you, you're just going to keep falling into pits. Because they can see things that you can't see because you have this perspective, add them, they have this perspective, add another person, they have this perspective, and pretty soon we have a very wide perspective and we can see ourselves in avoiding those pits in life. And the other thing that's interesting is we discovered along the way is that if there's people around you in your family or your coworkers or people that you uh, are close to, if those people are trying to give you input, trying to give you some of their wisdom, and we don't listen to them, what ultimately they feel like a little bit is, I don't care about your thoughts. I don't care about you. When people don't feel heard that are trying to help, they start to feel devalued. When people feel devalued, they don't feel loved. So not only by, are we avoiding some pits, but by listening to the input of others, we're actually telling them, what you have to say is important. What you have to speak into my life, I'm honoring you, I'm respecting you, I want to hear what you have to say because you make me a better human being. We're avoiding pits, we're helping others feel valued when we listen to some feedback. So like I said, feedback has never been something I've enjoyed very much. 
Um, and I've been on this journey of trying to get better through the help of Randy, through the help of others. And I ran across this book a few years ago by a lady named Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. She talked about mindset and how we view life. She said there's really kind of two mindsets that we typically have when we view life, and I fall into the first one, which is a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And kind of here's how a fixed mindset works, and you can see why this uh, describes me. A fixed mindset says, I am who I am, and that's all that I am. Did I just quote Popeye? <laughs> a lot of people look at me like, the especially younger crowd, who's Popeye? Eat your spinach and you'll know. All right. So a fixed mindset says that I'm, I'm kind of fixed, my qualities. This is who I am. So if I try something and I'm no good at it, that means that I'm no good at it. It's almost like there should be things that I'm natural at and those are the things that I pursue. And so if I do something and I have to get feedback to get better at it, that means I stink, I'm no good, I'm horrible, I'm a bad human being, all the things that went through my mind. So it's kind of like uh, sports helps me understand things a little bit. So it's kind of like if we were to get a bunch of kids in line and give them a basketball for the very first time and say, hey, make a basket. So the kid gets up there, holds the ball like this, bends their knees a little bit and just kind of shoots it from the chest, bangs off the backboard and all the other kids yell, brick, and it's embarrassing and all that kind of stuff. That what would happen in a fixed mindset, we would say, you're no good at basketball, see you later. So if a kid comes up and gets lucky and somehow they kind of shoot it a little bit better and it goes in, we'd say, hey, we're going to coach you, we're going to train you, um, let's go. And so a fixed mindset person then avoids new things, they avoid getting feedback in relationships. I don't know about you, but I wasn't natural at being in a loving, committed, caring, kind relationship. I didn't know how to do that. I was just selfish. I didn't know how to love another human being well. I didn't know how to honor God really well. I needed some coaching, but if I was no good at it and there was getting criticism from my wife or from others, then like, well, I stink. And there's two choices, I stink at this or I'm out. Those are kind of the choices in a fixed mindset. So, but a growth mindset says that your basic qualities, who you are, are not fixed, they're meant to be grown. So it's kind of like we're a lump of clay that says, here's this beautiful lump of clay that God created, and you need, I've designed it this way, you need other people to give you instruction, to give you guidance, to give you feedback for in order that clay to mold into whatever I want you to be, God says, or to whatever you want to be. So let's take that same example again with a basketball. We take a bunch of kids and we put them in line and that kid gets up there and shoots a brick and chucks it off the backboard and everything's shaking and everyone wants to laugh a little bit. And a coach kind of comes to the side and says, hey, let me teach you how to shoot a basketball. Um, you kind of put the ball in just one hand, you're gonna leave a little gap here. This hand is really just meant to guide the ball. Um, you're gonna shoot and you're gonna gooseneck at the top. You wanna make sure you bend your knees a little bit where you take off from, that's where you wanna land, and all of a sudden you're gonna be a better basketball player, and all of a sudden you have a shot at making that basket. So with coaching, with input, we don't seem to mind that in sports, but when it comes to loving other people well, we're not so excited about that kind of feedback, but it's the same thing. It's a skill that has to be developed. And so when I was in high school, uh, and so I was that kid in fifth grade, I was the chucker, I was horrible. So, but man, I wanted to play basketball. I don't know why I want to play basketball so badly. And so with coaching instruction, I actually became pretty good. A lot of people refer to me as Luka Doncic Jr. I don't know why that, wait, he wasn't even alive back then. But anyway, um, and so I remember one time in my sophomore year in high school, my shot was just off. I couldn't make it or whatever. And so one of the coaches came up to me and said, hey, I noticed when you're shooting, you're kicking your right leg out a little bit and staying, staying stiff in this leg and it's kind of forcing you to drift a little bit. Relax your legs, go up, land in the same spot, 
Next thing you know, I'm back to my old Luca ways and making baskets again. We can accept that when it comes to sports again, but it's difficult when it comes to relationships. But if I would have ignored that feedback, I would have kept falling into a pit. So we've got to get feedback on how to do this thing a little bit better. So a growth mindset says, hey, God made me, I'm wonderful. Part of the process is I need other people in order to do this thing well, in order to love people well. If we ignore that, pits are in our future. So as a reminder of where we were, what wisdom is, it's practical skills so that we can honor God and love others. That's what wisdom is, practical skills, day-to-day things that we can do to love others. Why we do this is because we want to fulfill God's mission and express his ways to those around us and to the world. So now the question would be, okay, I understand, I want to pursue wisdom, it's the right thing to do, it's very smart, how do I do this thing? So again, let my gray beard uh, share a few answers that I've kind of figured out along the way to move in the direction of wanting feedback. The first thing I think I had to realize is I was so anti-feedback because I, I wasn't healthy inside. So my first implore to you is to go on a journey to get healthy, to realize that you're valuable, to realize that you are loved, to realize that God looks at you and cherishes you and honors you and be in a relationship with him, that's the first beautiful step. I think part of that journey is also having to realize that we need other people to kind of help us understand maybe some mixed messages we got, maybe some traumatic experiences we got in our past and to let that person kind of guide you through that so that you can be healthy so that everything doesn't bother you that comes your way. One of the best things that I ever did was I decided it was so scary, I decided I need to go see a counselor. I need to figure out what's going on inside of me. Game changer. Because all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't broken. I had some bad thoughts I needed to fix. I had some skills that I needed to get a little bit better at. But it was all possible. That was a game changer for me. Another game changer for me, and I know we talk about this all the time at the church, but I remember the first night I ever went to re-engage, I was so scared. Because I thought what was going to happen is everyone was going to go around the room and say, here's all the things we've noticed about you, how you're a bad husband. That didn't happen. They did that to my wife. <laughs> I'm joking. She's here, so I'm in trouble now. So, uh-oh. But it was in that moment where I sat with other people and heard other people's struggles and heard their successes and kind of learned some new skills. All of a sudden, like, oh, oh, that's what it means to be in a relationship. Going to regeneration was a game changer for me because I remember when we got to step four, which is inventory, and I started to realize these things about my life. I was like, okay, I can make a change here. I can be better here. I got input from others about how to do this thing. So maybe do something different. Maybe do something that's a little bit scary because if we're not getting that feedback about how we're doing in terms of loving others, we're missing out on a large piece of wisdom. The second thing that I did is found some guys around me, some friends, that I could be brutally honest with about the struggles that are going on in my mind and my life and my heart. I was able to share with them and I can, could vent with them about things that were bothering me but they would at the same time them coach me like, okay, how can we do that a little differently? Hearing guys like Randy, hearing guys like some of my friends here at the church say, here's a better way, here's a different way, here's a unique perspective. One of the things that my friend Todd always said when we were in our regen group together, he said, if you want to be a godly person, you have to hang around godly people. You gotta learn from them, people that are all pursuing, growing in grace. Do we have that? Do we have that community? It's so vital in our lives. It's so vital, and so I know it's so frustrating because as soon as I get done with this message, I'm gonna go backstage and all these guys are gonna have text messages filling my phone saying, that joke was stupid. 
Why did you say it that way? Here's a better way to say it. So I'll have all those text messages. So guys, thank you for that. <laughs> Another thing is we've got to start asking for feedback. We've got to start saying to those around us like, hey, what are some things I can do to be a little bit better at this? Because that's what I need for growth. It's a good idea. One of the best things that I feel like I've done in my marriage in the last few years is to go to my wife and say, what are two or three things I can do a little bit better to love you? Realizing I didn't have it all figured out. That was huge for me. Maybe going to coworkers and saying, hey, what are a couple things I could do around the office to be a little bit better? Going to our boss and saying, what can I do to be a better employee? Going to those around us and saying, hey, what can I do to love you a little bit better? Because remember the pit analogy, we're avoiding pits, but if we're also listening, we're telling the people around us, I really value you, I'd love your opinion, because you mean a lot to me. No one knows you better than your family. They're the ultimate mirror, unfortunately, about who we really are. Listen to them, listen to their thoughts, even if they don't express it the right way, they've got some insight. One of my friends, when we were in re-engage, he never knew what to say after someone gave him some feedback, and so he'd always just look at us awkwardly and say, thank you for sharing. Maybe that's your response. You're not gonna be perfect, uh, but doing these things, I think, will be a great guide for your life. It doesn't mean everything's gonna be wonderful, but the probabilities are gonna be forever in your favor if you trust wisdom and trust what God is asking you to do. So in conclusion, I'd like to share with you kind of four statements to wrap this whole thing up, if I may. The first statement is this. You're not broken if you have faults. You're one of us, the people who need Jesus. You're not broken if you don't have it all together, if you're not perfect in relationships. You just need some guidance, you need people, you need God to work in your life. One of the things that really has frustrated me in the past about church, going to church in general, is that sometimes I think people walk in and feel like this is a place where you have it all together. I don't have it all together. I've talked to a lot of you. I know we don't have it all together. So this is not a place where you come and say, I've got it all together, let me show off a little bit. It's a place where we come together and say, I'm broken, I've got some things I need to work on, I need Jesus. That's what church is supposed to be. We don't have it all together. You're not broken, you're not ruined, you're just one of us. Welcome. The goal in all this, statement number two, is we honor God by treating others with love, with kindness, with forgiveness, with gentleness, and with peace. If we've got work to do in any of those areas, let's together seek some wisdom. The third statement, we get there to that place of love by being an open book and knowing we need others on this path of growth. The more honest we can be, the more vulnerable we can be with those that care about us and around us, the better it is. I know it's scary, but that's the path. And it leads to growth, leads to wisdom. And finally, wisdom seeks input from others for the sake of others. God is saying to us, I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless others. I'm going to love you so that you can love others. And that's kind of our goal that we're after. My prayer for all of us is that together, because we need each other, may we all be on a relentless pursuit a relentless pursuit of wisdom and growth so the world can know about the goodness of Jesus because of our love for one another. Let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, for today. And Father, for all of us, we come together, and Lord, there's people in this room, and, and myself included, that have a lot of hurts and pains. Father, we pray for your healing today. 
We pray deep in our souls that every one of us would know, God, that you love us immensely, that you're with us, you will never forsake us. And Father, I pray that on that path of healing, Lord, we'd begin to be able to say that I need others to help me in this journey. Uh, that we'd go to others and ask for input, ask for guidance, ask for help, ask for correction. Lord, you'd lead us to the right people that could be a part of that journey for us. Father, I pray that you'd lead everyone in this room to their Randy, to their person that can guide them and lead them. Lead them to their friends that can be honest with them, encourage them and love them and give them hope. And so Father, thank you today of your immense love for us. I pray that we would love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And Lord, give us the grace to love everyone around us as you loved us. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Can we show Brock our appreciation?